Welcome to Philanthropy Today. Our goal is to inspire giving by educating listeners on ways to give and how to connect with charitable causes. My name is Dave Lewis. I'm your host of Philanthropy Today. Thank you for joining the show. We continue with our discussion about the Yes Fund and how it has impacted uh, the Manhattan area over the last 30 years. It's got a a wonderful history and uh, has already tr- achieved a tremendous legacy and continues to to serve the youth in our community. Mitzi Richards is the Director of Philanthropy for the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Mitzi, glad to have you join us. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we've got a guy here in our studio uh, today. This is going to be uh, fun to talk to Bob DeBrian, master teacher, terrific philanthropist, all around good guy. Bob, welcome to Philanthropy Today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We are going to talk a little bit about the Yes Fund. And, and Mitzi, this is a prime time for the Yes Fund discussions because it's fundraising time, fundraising season. We are. We are three weeks in. And we've already got a really good start. We do. Right. So we're hearing a lot of great things uh, about uh, the nature of what the Yes Fund does. And Bob, I want to have you kind of start a little bit about what the Yes Fund provides for in the Manhattan area community? Well, um, a whole lot. Let me go, let's go back in time. And, and maybe you said talk about the past. Let's talk about um, in honor of uh, some guys that were a part of this when it first started and no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed and Karen Seaton, uh, Roger and Connie Sink, and Jack Goldstein. And, um, that was uh, the first seven, and three of them. It's been 30, since, 30 years since the flood, mm-hmm. and uh, we found ourselves uh, flooded out and, and in big need. And um, uh, Ed Seaton got a call from the Chicago Tribune uh, on behalf of the McCormick Foundation, and um, it was a welcome call. We went from being hurt very bad to be helped very much for a great deal, but uh, McCormick was, um, Robert McCormick was uh, the founder of the Tribune. He owned the Cubs. He owned the WIB, uh, WGN. And uh, uh, he was a colonel at Fort Riley. And and uh, he died in 55. But they, they, they called because he was always talking about Manhattan, Junction City, and Fort Riley when he served at the Big Red One. This is one of the untold stories. Yeah. I haven't heard this story before, and I've been around the Yes Fund for 30 years. <laughs> well, that's the story. And he, the, the head of the, 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 the Chicago Land, the, uh, the Tribune at that time, Colin said that, uh, told Ed that story. And he proposed that, um, that uh, we get together, uh, Manhattan and the McCormick Foundation, and they would fund half of whatever we needed to raise for the people that were flooded out in the floods and um we could, could we cut a deal and ed called me okay he called me right then and said they told me about the call and said what do we do and i said let's go yeah and so we did and with the mercury's help and and uh enough money raised uh, we paid we paid every claim that was made in the flood including repairing your yard which was never been done before in insurance policies. As a result of that, the, the McCormick Foundation called back, and they were absolutely stunned 
at how well we'd done, and they couldn't believe it, but they wanted to know if they wanted to extend the effort. And we said, well, how do you mean? They said, well, they they have what's called the Chicago Long, Chicagoland Charities, and they do something special at Christmas time. And we would like to do something in this area, Fort Riley, Manhattan, and Junction City, for kids at Christmas time, they would fund half of it. So we we did, and they called back and said, um, let's make this bigger than it was. And what are your needs and all that? So we extended it, and um, it all happened because of the flood to extend a partnership for them donating money to what we needed. And it came at a very apropos time. It came when we had just all received a letter from Clark Ranke. And Clark was the assistant super, or associate, they called it then, the superintendent of schools. And he wrote this. Never before have I sensed a greater interest or concern in the youth of our community. Much of this is heightened concern stems from things that are disturbing to all of us including youth violence, crime, apathy towards school and our community. Rinky also talked in his letter about the complaints of both downtown and Aggieville regarding the kids doing nothing but hanging around after school in those areas. And we got same complaints with the, uni from the university of kids camping out in the, in the union even over weekends. And the police got involved, and they said there's a lot of unproductive and unsupervised time outside of school hours, and it's increased vandalism in Manhattan. We weren't very pleased or proud of some of the things the kids said, especially about this wonderful town that we live in. So we formed an ad hoc committee. That was in 1993 again. And to talk to our kids to find out what they were thinking, what they were feeling, what they were believing and what they were experiencing. And the message we received from our kids was very clear and very powerful. In a unified voice, the kids said, Manhattan only cares about college students. They don't care about us at all. In fact, many of them don't even know we're here. And many of them said, a lot of them said, as soon as they could, they would leave Manhattan and they would never come back except to see their families. That was not good news. And uh, in fact, the kids' attitude about their hometown made us sick. So we examined very closely what they said, and we found out that what they told us was true. <laughs> it, it was how they all felt. We don't hear those complaints anymore, and we don't want to ever hear them again. Uh, and we saw that we needed activities and projects and opportunities that we could continue this Yes Fund with the McCormick people that our kids need. We only had a few baseball teams. We had, I think, one for girls. And we ended up getting money from them, and we raised money, and uh, we had enough, I think, for 54 teams, boys and girls. Plus, uh, if a teacher saw a need, okay, and they they, simple needs like, I have kids at the high school that have jobs but they can't get to work. I'll take them, and I'll pick them up when they're done because their families couldn't. We funded it. If you wanted to do a, start any project after-school activity for kids or a teacher did, we funded it. 
we didn't have a boys and girls club. We funded that too. And so everything worked out pretty well because we really followed strict guidelines. That, and all research confirms the importance of this thing that we used. And that is the correlation between a young person's involvement and success in school and his success and well-being in life and living in a community now and forever, no matter what we might do, had to be connected. In other words, if we couldn't help kids be successful in school, it wouldn't work. So we did. We tied everything to the schools. Uh, the Yes Fund collected the money, the board, uh, and, and we picked two people who were supposed to know the most about young people in our community to say where that money went. And I shouldn't say this because I don't want to put any pressure on it, but I've been all over the country, and Mike and I have told this all over the country, but I haven't met a superintendent that wouldn't kill to have $300,000 extra a year to do whatever he needed and whatever emergency he needed to That's one of those things that you you do not want to turn down. You don't want to turn down. So um, we had them take in the the, the grants, monitor and revise the board what's, what's the grant. And Mike's gone now, and now the new dean, of course, is doing that, and the new superintendent will do that for the first time this year. But we, what the research said, if it's not tied to school and success in school, they don't feel they fit in, belong, and are may- having a measure of success in school, you're wasting your time. And so that's what we've done. Bob is a longtime educator. What impact did this opportunity how did that impact you and your want to help provide? Well, see, I was already a teacher, administrator, mm-hmm. so um, a great, a great deal. But it was always there. In fact, I was in business all my life in Chicago when I was in down on Bradstreet, and I thought I had a career. I always wanted to do something important. So I decided to go back to school and teach and go to school. Because my education was so great in Chicago, and I was a street kid. But um, um, you can't tell what a good teacher can do. I still, uh, I still get emotional about it. But, and I think, and, man, and I can say this without tongue-in-cheek, I've taught in schools in all over the world, even China and Russia. Um, Gorbachev came to see us about teaching their kids in Russia, and we went for two years. I've only been in two schools as a as an educator, Manhattan High and Manhattan Junior High. The best staffs I've seen anywhere I've been in the world have been what were here in Manhattan when I was not there. The best principal that I ever had was Herb Bishop. The second best, or not the second best in the same league, was Jack Larson. The best um, assistant principal I've ever seen was Ralph Rogers at the high school, and uh, the best I wish I wish I'd have been as good as either as him or Bruce Cornley. And the staff was the same because um, they were totally for kids. Um, I remember one time when I when we were teaching, when they were marching. CBS was here for making kids want to march for. Uh, for uh, inviting, you know, something bad that was going on. And they went to the college and picked up kids. They went to the high school and picked up kids. They went to the junior high. And the kid, our black kids wouldn't go. 
They said, we can't march with you. We'd be telling those these teachers here that that's, they're not taking care of us, mm -hmm. and they are. And we all cried. Um, but I think the best I've ever seen was here. And this was not for all people. And how would you say that? Is that this is a town of haves and have-nots. The needs of children are growing, and they're growing big time, and I don't think a lot of people in this community are aware of. The world is changing. More that when I went to, was in school as a kid and you were in school, we had what I called a 10 2 arrangement. That we, after we graduated, we had 10 relatively calm years. And then we had two years where there was a lot of change, and you either hmm. caught up or you, or in that two years, or you fell behind. But then we had 10 more years. And then we had the two years of you either catch up or you fall behind and out. We were told when I graduated, you may change uh, what you do two to four times in your lifetime, but that was nothing. But in a, in a career, we had uh, 40 years, we had 40 years of calm and eight years that we had to change or grow. The kids, the world that they're in today and the reason things are like they are is the only constant that's changed. They're in a high-tech, information-based world. Information will change every two years. We think they're going to change careers up to five times. Hmm. Now, if you love learning and you do well in school and you, you are in a new land of opportunity, it's going to be everywhere, everywhere you see it. But change is the only constant. And professional growth is a man is a mandatory, because if you don't like learning and you want to stay where you are the rest of your life, you're dead in the water. You know, you talk about you know the ten and two, and obviously, you know, we just went through a very difficult time. Still trying to get through a lot of uh, the aspects as a result of the pandemic, and that that may be more than a ten year uh, no, ten no. and two Rob, uh, deal. You said that because now let's add to what our kids are going to face and have faced. We just had a COVID, and our kids are socially behind. Mm -hmm. um, they've been isolated uh, for two, for one year and then two years. If they hadn't had their phones, there'd been no contact. Medical people say a quality of life is is formed by by associating, surrounding yourself with people you love. And that goes on and on. They were in isolation as young people. We never faced anything nearly that radical when we were kids. That was a constant. Everything was a constant. But these kids, they they didn't. They have some. They have not a relationship maybe with any. Their best friend is their phone, and you can go to any place and watch them today, and they can be four kids sitting there in a, in a diner having a coke, and they're not talking. They're on a telephone. You know, I think one of the neat things that we have seen, though, you know, you talked early on in our discussion about the establishment of the Boys and Girls Clubs here in Manhattan. And when you take into consideration the social time that they have in the facility, that helps build those relationships. And, and that is something that I think, uh, you know, thinking back to with the founding of the Yes Fund, with, you know, the contributions that the Yes Fund and others have made over the years, the dedication the community has made to Boys and Girls Club. As an example, there are others. 
But, you know, that's one that really seems to thrive on the social aspect. But, but, um, but we got something else coming, too. Artificial intelligence. You know, and I, uh, <laughs> you know, that that is a whole nother subject that we're probably not going to have time to get I into. Know, but, but it we're, is we're an intimidating. It right now, but this is say this: don't fear it, embrace it. Yeah. Because in every problem and every challenge, there are tremendous opportunities, and we're working at the master teacher with it right now, and it, it is unbelievable what it will do, and for a teacher, not to be able to use it, I it would be incredible because. You realize I can write down very little facts. Let's just go back. I have kids. You have kids in a class. You got 30 kids in a class, 25 in a class. You can figure out what you need to do with each kid in time. But do you have time to do it? I can put very relatively information, and I'm going to say what, but very small information, and get back information exactly what to do with you and exactly what to do with you and exactly what. And I can do that in study time. Hmm. Teachers are going to be able to reach and influence kids that they have not been able to reach before. Yeah. It's exciting, Bob. I, I think it's the most exciting time. We're in, people say they don't like change. Well, you're going to get it. But in every change and every problem, there's an opportunity. The problem is, is that, that we say we like change and like to do things new, but that's really not true. We like routine and do the same thing over and over again. And what's hard for me as a teacher, I've got all these lesson plans. I've got all these. How do you how do you ask um, a kid a, a, a question on a, a homework? Just go home and put it in your thing. Give me math problems. I'll go home and put it in my machine and mm -hmm. get it back. But let's look at the whole system just for a second when you say that. Is that we're about teaching. And I don't want to say don't. Take this wrong. It's very, very important, and that relationship between teacher and student is everything. But if it's about teaching, it's a lot of about focuses on teachers and being teacher-centered. If it's about learning, it's student-centered. And the future, it's got to be about learning. And that's the truth. There's no way I can say I'm a good teacher, and this is what kills you as a teacher, if you're not learning. And I can blame you, but I can't say I'm a good teacher. I can only say it. So now, what we didn't have before are the tools for me to be a better teacher. So much book work, so much planning, so much of this and that. And now I can put it in and get the information I need to handle you and you. You follow me? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying don't fear it, embrace it. It's, it. To me, it's like the people that fought the uh, car when the, fought the, fought the car when the horse and buggy went out. Which is best? The guy that fought the airplane because Wright had a crash. Which is better now, the plane or the bus? And this will be for the better, but, and we're about learning as teachers, and there's no way we can be, we'll ever be happy until our kids learn. Now we got the vehicle to get it done. But my old lessons of 20 years don't work. We're finding out things about teaching, learning that we never knew before. They're, they're, they're brand new and it's we could talk about that all day on what we know let's just take our testing we don't have any testing that measures learning a two and four question teaches, teaches you nothing you can guess and be 50% right right the only thing that works for learning to prove learning is the arts and speaking it's of performance related mm -hmm. 
It's the only thing, and it's the only thing that teaches all the intelligences and all the skills you have to need for the world order. And and while we're speaking of the arts, obviously your museum of light and art that you and Tracy are are uh, bringing to Manhattan that is a continuum of your passion for getting students, yeah, that experience yeah, let's in get the arts. One thing straight, I don't want to because everybody will rate me over the coals. We had the opportunity. We've been collectors for years. We want. We had the idea for a museum, but we didn't. We knew it wouldn't work. Kids are in a high-tech, information-based society. They're glued to the technology. There's no way. If you go into a museum, they're looking and walking out. The problem is that we thought we could create this thing called an immersive museum with our staff. And so I hired the, the graduate school at K-State, and I said, we have three questions for you. This is our idea. Am I crazy? Are we crazy? And if we are, why? And if we're not, why not? And you could study it for a semester. They called us and said, no, you, you can do that and hire them. You know that because they like real life problems. They have to give the results to the whole faculty and give it to you. And they said, no, you're not crazy. It's, in fact, it's a pretty good idea. You know? So I said, okay, now second semester, who's got the technology? Where is it? What's the names attached to it? And where can we find them? And they called us in about... 10 weeks, and said, you didn't have an original idea. We found one, the Immersive Museum in Paris. And we went to see it. And when we went to see it, it was packed. From not 5 to 95, everybody was immersed in the art. And we knew this is the hook. This is the hook to get them in, but the learning is in the art, real art. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, but it was all about learning. And so we, we we did that, but and that's why because the learning is the only thing that teaches off and and off of performance. And everything we do now has got to pretty much got to lean for that. And we we can't. The only thing we have in teaching today that that's good and valid is an essay question. The problem if you've taught school, you got thirty kids in class. And you got 15 true and I mean essay questions on it. Good luck and testing it. You just you just don't have the time. I mean you go crazy. So we have to use those other questions. So but Bob, now now with the artificial intelligence, do we? I don't know. I don't know yet. It'll be interesting to It'll see the future out. of essay questions in the future. Yeah, yeah. but that's so that. do you think, Bob, if you hadn't had the Yes Fund experience personally understand, understood the generosity in this community and the willingness of people to step up and invest. Do you think you would have had the philanthropic confidence to create this immersive museum that you're in the midst of doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Depends on your philosophical base, and our Tracy and my philosophical base is the same as Roger Sinks, Phil Howes. It's the same. Money is only good for the good you can do it. And I wouldn't live any differently if I had ten times what I got now. And so you're always looking for those things that make a difference. I'm 89 years old, and I have no plan to retire. I never have. 
okay? But I'm a street kid. I've been employed since I was 12. <laughs> I've never not had a job since I was 12 and enjoyed every minute of it. 77 years as a worker. Yeah. Yeah, but um, of you know, great life. I mean, you know, um, enjoyed every minute. And But the people I've worked with in, in Manhattan, let me tell you the story of why Manhattan. This will explain a bit. I was from Chicago. I worked in Chicago and New York. I thought the rest was wasteland. I knew the leaders fairly well. And almost every talk you had with them was about what's good for me is good for Chicago. What's good for me is good for Manhattan. And something didn't ring right with me about that. But I came to Manhattan, Kansas, and two guys really embraced me. Uh, Evan Griffith, you remember that name? Mm -hmm. And Bill Farrell, remember him? And mm -hmm. they started talking to me right away about staying in Manhattan. I was in the Army. I got drafted and said to Fort Riley, last of the draft. But what they talked to me about is what's good for the university is good for me. What's good for Fort Riley is good for me. What's good for Manhattan is good for me. And it was a, and, and Chicago's was 12 of us could run this city. Their philosophy was it takes all of us to run the city. And that rang a bell. You know, we circle back here talking about the Yes Fund and how that original group that helped start this. And, and you know, we just lost another one here recently with Roger Singh passing away, Ed Seaton, yeah. Mike Holan, Jack Goldstein, obviously. Yeah. You know, these are, are, are individuals whose legacy is not just as business successes or educational success, but also philanthropic uh, assistance that they all have pride and just a great all love these, for the All community. those men supported this town with everything they had. And um, I've been in business for a long, long time. I've had, been in a lot of meetings, business and his pleasure and everything else with Roger Singh. I can say that I bet every single one of us that know Roger will say one thing about him. He was always there. Our graduation rate now is up to 89.1%, okay? Our dropout rate has gone up from 1.1 to 1.9, but that's not too bad yet, but with other circumstances. Here's the thing why this it's critical to this town. Manhattan has the highest poverty rate in the state of Kansas. You guys think about it, in this golden thing we love, in 2021, it was 25.9% of the residents are at the pop, below the poverty level. That's 54.9% higher than the state average of 11.7%. Mm. So it's not golden for somebody. The residents with income below 50% on the poverty level are 14.8%. In the whole state, it's only 5'7", including us. We have 196 students at Manhattan High School that do not have a home, that are not living in a house. They're homeless. 196. That means after school, we've got 196 for kids that don't have any place to go. If that doesn't make us take notice, I don't know what. Um, we have... Uh, an enrollment of 6,948 students total now. 
what you'd made it, what you need to know and why you need the Yes Fund is 40% of our young people are regarded by the state as economically disadvantaged. And we have 2,667 kids out of our, out of our total, that's 38.4% that are on free and reduced lunches. That, that, my friends, should tell every adult in this, in this state, in this city we live in, we need a need for the Yes Fund. We had a need during the flood. We had a need when Ranky wrote his letter. And we have another one today, and we've always met it. But And now we've, we've lost three of our big contributors, four. And COVID has robbed them of their childhood that, that, that we never, none of us in this adult in this world has faced. We're, uh, it set them back. They all lost a year of no people, and they had a year after COVID where they were in isolation. They're behind in their schoolwork. They're behind in social and emotional intelligence. And they got to try and catch up in this new and different world with that we live in. The need has never been greater. And and we really need you to step back and take second notice because um, if we, we can't, you can tell everything you need to know about any community in America by how well it takes care of its kids. And I think that we take care of other people's kids at the university very well. It doesn't look like we're gonna, we're in trouble if we don't come forward that take care of our own. And um, that's why this is so urgent this year that that we continue this. And and um, you got 17 guys now in this community that give $10,000 a year to start you off. Oh my God, you would just double it. And we'll be just fine. And I got to say a thing is that I can't believe that teachers in schools aren't going to need help that's not in the budget. And somehow we got to help them help themselves. Okay? I'll quit. I'm sorry, but thank you for giving me the other minute. Thanks for giving me the other minute. Well, you know, <laughs> when Bob speaks, people listen. And, uh, you know, there's, but, but the, the data that you provided is just profound as to what the need is for the Yes Fund. And we are certainly grateful uh, for you and Tracy and your engagement with the Yes Fund and all those others that you had made mention that helped start it and those that continue. And as we uh, uh, continue to raise awareness of the Yes Fund and as we continue to work toward giving those funds, collecting those funds for our youth, the better off we'll all be. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Philanthropy Today, an inside look at the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. You can always learn more about the GMCF at our website, mcfks.org. We also invite you to subscribe to Philanthropy Today on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dave Lewis. I'm proud to host Philanthropy Today. It's hosted and produced in the Ad Astra Cast Studios in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. 